So, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? Good. Glad you came. Glad you came over. Look, let's let's be honest. We need we need to talk about the elephant in the room. <sighs> yeah. Let's just let's just get it out there in the open. It's my new hair, isn't it? I should have went darker. Okay, well, if you're wondering if that video has uh, any spiritual significance for today, the answer to that is no. Um, If you're wondering how that video connects to our teaching series, very loosely, all right? It just was supposed to put a smile on your face. It was supposed to make you, uh, you know, in that attitude of just going, wow, man, I'm looking forward to what's going on. So I want to welcome you. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. If you're a guest here with us, Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come and worship with us today. I want to say hello to all those that are down in the gym venue as well. Uh, those guys are, uh, that church is growing amazing uh, down there. We are one church in multiple locations, soon to become three as we launch uh, North Platte next month. So we're in an exciting time, but we're going to be tackling some issues over this next month of August that are just going to stretch you. They're going to be things that are going to alter the way you think. They're going to alter the way you process life. I guarantee you, you're going to get stretched during this next month in one way or the other. So what I need you to do for me is a couple of things. One, I need you to strap on a physical seatbelt. All right. So if this is your home church, this is where you worship all the time. Don't get offended by issues and topics that we bring up this month and go, that's it, I'm out of here. No, strap on your physical seatbelt, hold yourself to the pew and go... I'm going to go on a journey that's going to stretch me. I want to become the man or the woman God wants me to be. Because we're going to be looking to God's Word to bring answers to some really hot issues that are happening um, around us. The other thing I need you to do is put like a a band-aid or a rubber band, something around your emotional heart. Because these issues that we talk about this month are going to stir you up in such a way that it's going to make you afterwards have some crazy conversations at lunch. It's going to make you, at your workplace, just have some amazing uh, things that are going to happen. You're going to get all stirred up and fired up. And I want to make sure that your emotions don't lead you, but God's Spirit leads you. All right? So, those are a couple of warnings for the teaching series. Right? Please, would you please put on your seatbelt and put on the seatbelt around your heart. Uh, Would you prepare yourself for an amazing ride? So, elephant in the room. How many of you guys have heard of the statement, elephant in the room? All right. Isn't it interesting that we say, how many of you guys have heard the statement elephant in the room? You raise one hand because from the stage, all of you just looked kind of like elephants with a snout. Just want to let you know that. <clears throat> it's kind of an interesting side note. Just thought I would point that out. Elephants in the room. There's a lot of different things that we would call an elephant in the room. Some of them are funny. All right. Some of them are harmless, such as have you ever gone to work and then found early in the morning, found a coworker who showed up that you know just got ready a few minutes before that because they still have the toothpaste coming out of the side of their mouth on the side of their face, that residue of toothpaste on there? If you've ever seen that before, didn't you want to say something to them, but you didn't know if you said it, it would offend them? And you're not sure that you wanted to say it because it was a lot of fun and you wanted your coworkers to have a laugh? Right. All right. You people need to become better friends. What about... What about the person that's got their collar up on one side, right? And they don't know it. And they come into work. And this is the way they are. And you want to deal with it. Or they got food on their shirts. And you just, you're like, 
I don't know what to say, right? Do I tell them? Do I not tell them? Can't they feel the collar is all messed up? Now my collar's messed up, isn't it? Doggone it. All right. And they got food on their shirt or whatever. So you've got to deal with it. Or how about this one? This one is, this one's just messed up. You're, you're talking to somebody and you look at them and you can see that they've got the booger hanging halfway out of the nostril. You've all been in this situation before. You don't really know what to do. Do you say something about it? Do you not say something about it? So what do you do in that moment? You do this. You're talking to them. You're like, you're trying to, you're trying to do things. This is kind of like get their attention without saying it because you don't know what to do. It's the elephant in the room and it's really small and yucky. So those are funny, harmless. It's not going to really affect any, anybody's life if any of those kinds of things happen. On the flip side of that, what if you and something you're doing is the elephant in the room? A lot of people want to talk to you about it, but they just don't know how to address it with you. What if, what if it's because of your anger and your anger just scares everyone around you? What if that's the elephant in the room? Or what if it is you're a dictator at work? You have no compassion for people. You just drive, drive, drive. But no one, no one's got the guts to really talk to you about it. It's the elephant. Everybody knows it except for you. Maybe, maybe it's because you parent your children with harshness. People just don't know how to deal with it. They want to help you, but they don't know how. The elephant is there right in the middle. Maybe you're a college student and you're just partying your school year away and you are, you're slacking on your degree. People want to say something, but they don't know what to do. It's now become the elephant in the room. I think one of the biggest ones is happens with couples all the time. There is unresolved conflict from an argument that's happened before. But no one resolved it, and so this argument's always there. So now you go out to dinner with the unresolved conflict, and how does that dinner environment go? It's awesome, isn't it? conversation flows well everybody has you know starry eyes of love for each other it's just amazing isn't it no of course it's not because there's an elephant in the room there's this issue that nobody wants to deal with and when you got when you're dealing with real life elephant in the room issues they can be extremely devastating if you don't deal with them properly what's our what's our number one mode of trying to deal with this issue that's out there that we don't know how to address one of the big things that we do is we try to talk around the issue. Like, well, I'm just going to avoid it altogether. I know it's there, but I'm going to stay away from it. Another thing that we do all the time is we try to sidestep the issue. Or we try to make, you know, subtle statements about it. Or we'll even communicate in analogies. Well, let me tell you a picture. Let me, let me tell you about something. And hoping that there's a connection that's made, right? And then we always finish the statement with, are you catching my drift? You're catching my drift. Right, because it is a drift. We've got to drift our way into these things. Because not all of us are just like, let's tackle things straight on. Let's deal with them. Let's be forthright. Let's be, you know, truth tellers. A lot of us are kind of like, mm, I don't like conflict. I think this is going to cause conflict if I deal with this issue. And so we stay away from it. Well, the purpose of elephant in the room is to expose some issues that we think about often that we don't talk about enough, but that we need straight answers from God's Word on. And that's what we're going to do through this entire series. So the purpose is not to equip you so that you can show everyone else their error. That's not the purpose of this teaching series. So you walk out of here with ammunition loaded in your gun, you're going to go out and you're going to tell people why they do things wrong. 
And, and the purpose of this teaching series is not so that you can just look smarter around the water cooler. The purpose of this teaching series is not, it's not designed to make you feel guilty for your position or your stance on certain key issues that are affecting our world. That's not my goal. That's not the goal here during this teaching series is to make you feel guilty. I'm going to tell you, though, that some of your opinions and some of your statements have not been built on God and His Word. The Holy Spirit's going to challenge you on those things. That's called conviction. Conviction is different than guilt. Guilt wants you to run away, hide your head, and get out of this place as quick as you can. Conviction makes you want to be drawn to God. So let the power of the Holy Spirit throughout this month convict you to let your heart line up with God's heart. That's the real purpose of the teaching series. In fact, obviously every Sunday we come together, our intent here is to try to help our lives line up with God's life. Why? Because, especially in this teaching series, I want to help you have a Christ-centered response to the real hot issues that are around us. Some of the things that people are talking about that you may not know an answer to. I want you to have a Christ-centered response to them. Okay, is that fair enough? So today, for the first time, at least in my pastoral career, we're going to be teaching on the issue and looking at God's Word through the lens of immigration. So before we deal with the elephant in the room of immigration, why don't you please watch this video? Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson travels to Guatemala this week as the U.S. tries to convince Central American parents not to send their children nearly 2,000 miles north across the U.S. border. More than 52,000 unaccompanied minors have been taken into custody during the current fiscal year that began last October. That is almost double the number during the entire preceding fiscal year. Here's Mark Albert. Hundreds more undocumented immigrants, many of them women and children, arrived this weekend by plane in San Diego and by bus in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Their fate is still uncertain as the government scrambles to house and process the sudden influx of illegal border crossers. Appearing today on NBC, Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson would not say if they'd be deported. We're looking at options, added flexibility, to deal with the children in particular, but in a humanitarian and, fa and fair way. But Democrat Henry Cuellar, whose Texas district sits along the U.S.-Mexico border, says when it comes to immigration, the Obama administration is playing catch-up. Without due respect to the administration, they're one step behind. They should have seen this coming a long time ago. They should have seen this a long time ago. Texas Governor Rick Perry said the solution is better border security to keep immigrants from crossing over in the first place. We have a huge problem on our southern border. We have to deal with it, and I don't think you're going to be able to address it until you put the resources there, and that's boots on the ground. But Senate Democrat Dick Durbin said the U.S. needs better immigration policy, including tougher punishment for those who profit when parents send their children north. These smugglers and coyotes ought to be hit with the hardest penalties we can possibly come up with. The fact that they would lure these children into this deadly journey uh, is just unspeakable. It is an awful crime. President Obama will be in Texas this week, but as of now, that trip will not include a visit to the border. Jeff? Mark Elbert, thank you very much. All right. This is a big issue. <clears throat> You've watched all kinds of news media on it. You've read multiple stories on it. It's not that it's just new to us in this past week. It's been, it's been an issue that continues 
to, to mount and to grow. It has its hot spots. It has its moments when it increases and when it decreases. Let's just tap on some of the main issues of immigration that we're dealing with. First off, you got the border. You have the, you have the border patrol. Um, you've got the wall. You've got the fence. You've got places where there is a wall, places where there's not, places where there's more control, places where there's less control. That's one issue. You heard that on the video. But you also heard about the uh, immigration reform issue where, you know, it's taking some people to get into our country a year to three years to actually fill out all the paperwork and get it all done and have it submitted correctly and be able to walk up to the border and go, yep, here it all is. I'm coming in. And evidently, you know, there's a, there's a lot of talk about there's a, a need for you know, transforming all of that. You also have the other issue you saw in the video about women and especially children who are showing up at our borders from, you know, Latin American countries knowing that we won't deny or turn them away. And so, you know, you have that issue that's going on. But on, on along with that, you have the illegal entrance of people into our country. That was another piece that was brought up. And if it doesn't, if it, if it doesn't stop there, it just keeps getting larger and larger. You've got gangs, you've got drugs, you got drug smugglers, you got drug dealers that are causing havoc in a number of different areas and environments around, you know, uh, the border towns and different zones in, uh, in America. And then you have the undocumented worker who finds their way into America with one way or another, ends up working for a company, and then ends up getting, um, you know, taken in by INS and then deported across, across the border or to whatever country they come from. And then uh, 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 if that wasn't enough, you got the last piece, which is the legal immigrant who's found their way here, has done everything appropriately to our laws uh, by our country, and they're working here trying to establish a new beginning for the family. Very much like how all of us got here. All of us found our way to this country because someone in our past, in the lineage of our, of our family, decided America was the place I was going to come and I was going to raise my family. America was the place I was going to come to make a better life for us. So our lives all came from lives of immigrants. But today in 2014, this issue is heated, it's hot, it's alive. And if I were to ask you today, what does God's word say about immigration? You would say back to me most likely, well, I know what the politician said, or I know what this legislation says, or I know what my opinion is. And today's not the day to try to smash on what some politician said, or some legislation that's been passed, or what your opinion is. Today, what I want to do is I want to help build a foundation for you that's a God foundation that then you can put the right building blocks on top of it. So today, I'm going to do my best to keep my personal opinion out and just do, deal with this today from God and God's Word. And then from there, you can put your pieces on top of it. So because we live in a different day and a different time where there's consequences that are beyond you know, what they've ever been before when it comes to this issue. We're bombarded by all kinds of uh, political rhetoric, you know, and proposed legislation that you try to hang your hope on or whatever. We're fed with news story after news story like we just watched, opinion after opinion, you know, and this immigration issue, it just continues to grow and grow. And the whole time we talk about immigration, what we commonly do is we forget about the plight of the immigrant. You know, when I was a pastor in Omaha, I worked with a lot of immigrants, in the downtown area of Omaha, there's just a ton of immigrants that live there. Some, of re- some are refugees, like from Somalia, as an example. There's a whole apartment complex right around the corner from, you know, where I lived. Uh, there was a lot of uh, Hispanics and um, other Latinos uh, and Mexicans that were there. There was just a lot of immigrants. And some were legal and some were not. 
And I found myself just mixing in with, you know, many and just having a relationship and trying to figure out how to love and support and care for um, in a Christ-centered way. I remember one story of a man, uh, he's about 20, 21 years old, and he was a friend. He's a friend of mine. He went to our church. He actually helped us unload the trailer and set things up all the time. And, uh, but he was, he was illegal and he got, he got caught and he got, you know, put in jail and, and his family had to come up with some money before a deadline, before they were going to put him on a, a bus and then ship him back to the border and deport him. Um, and so they found the money. I know that they sold a car and they got rid of a bunch of other things and they came up with the money and they took it to the court system. They gave the money and they, they got, they got the, the son out. See, because he, he, when he came here, he was, an, he was a minor. He came here with his dad and they crossed the border illegally and they were in the country. It wasn't his choice. He came along with his dad, but he was caught up in this scenario. And now, now he's got a, he has a wife and a kid and man, he's found his way, you know, into our society, into our culture. And he's been able to get, you know, the kind of paperwork that he needs to be able to secure a life here in America for him and his family. So, you know, good for him. But at the same time, I had a grandmother in my congregation that was from England, Right. And uh, her husband had recently passed away and she'd been over here with her kids who live in America and she got deported from America. The grandmother from England, Mary Poppins, you know, the Mary Poppins of my church get, gets deported. And I just found it to be a very interesting scenario of events that took place as I found myself wrapped up with the immigrants. See, today we can't fix the issues of immigration. That's not what even Sunday morning's for. Sunday morning in our time here is for us to hear God's heart, listen, not towards immigration, God's heart towards the immigrant. God's heart is towards the person. God's heart is towards the issues that are happening in the heart of the person. Today, we're here to hear what God's heart is towards the immigrant. So a couple of questions you might want to consider. Um, what should the Christ-centered response be towards the immigrant? If you call yourself a Christian today, or you're on the journey to follow Christ, then you're definitely going to want to know, what should a Christ-centered response be to the immigrant? The second question you might want to be asking yourself is, what does the Bible say about the immigrant? And those are the two things I really want to deal with in your heart today. So the first thing, let's start with, what is God's heart towards the immigrant? What's God's heart towards the immigrant? And to do that, one of the things we have to realize about God is that God is supreme authority. God is the supreme authority. So what that means is that borders mean nothing to God. Lines in the sand of the earth mean nothing to God. They mean everything to man, but they mean nothing to God. God reigns and God rules from a concept that is completely foreign to your understanding of our governmental process. Our governmental process is a form of democracy. God's governmental process or God's reign and rule is theocracy. Theo, meaning God. God rules, he reigns. He's the king. He calls the shots. We follow, we follow his command. A theocracy. So that means that God's laws are different than man's laws. I know. I know that our country is founded on Judeo-Christian mindset. I know that the 12 commandments still hang in many of our court systems. And I'm thankful for that. And I know that those basic 12 commands have designed many of our laws, but there's a lot of our laws that are just man-made because man's democracy demanded them. 
So don't get confused with God's law being man's law or man's law being God's law. Those are two different things, although there are some pieces that overlap. But let's be clear today. God's called you and me as citizens of this country or people that are living in this country, regardless of whether they're a citizen or not. If you're in this country or you're in someone else's country, God calls us to obey the governmental laws of the land. God's word is clear. That we're, we're to show reverence to those in authority over us. God's word is also clear that God's the one who puts men in positions of power. You'll read through the Old Testament, you'll see God's hand at work putting people in positions of power. When God's people were wicked and they were evil, they got a wicked and an evil leader. When God's, and, and with that wicked and evil leader, it was stirring their hearts to a point where they just said enough is enough and they turned their hearts to God. And then guess what God does? God comes along and He gives them a righteous leader. God's still in the position of complete theocracy, power. God is the reigning supreme being of our earth, of our society, of humanity, of the universe. God is still the King. What we need to know is that not all the laws that we have, not all the laws that we have were made by God. But all the laws we have, God asks us to honor and to show reverence to as we do it as worship or honor unto Him. So, knowing that that's God's authority, then what really is God's heart towards the immigrant? Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 10. This is what God says about Himself. He says, He, God, He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love to foreigners For you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Now God's speaking to His people. He's speaking to the Israelites and He's letting them know, I'm a God who shows love to foreigners. I'm a God who shows love to the immigrants among you. I give them food and I clothe them. So guess what you get the chance to do? The very same thing. So God's saying here, I care for humanity. To God... To God, things that divide us, it doesn't divide. It doesn't divide in God's heart. We divide ourselves by country, not in God's heart. God sees humanity. We divide ourselves by language, not, not, in, God's, not in God's world. God sees humanity. We divide ourselves by skin color, not through God's eyes. God sees humanity. We divide ourselves by education. We divide ourselves by wealth, not in God's eyes. God sees humanity. God says, I love all men, all women, all children, I love you. And by the way, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And the good news is, there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. God loves. Listen, if you were a kid like me and you grew up in church, I learned a little song. Jesus loves the little children. How many children of the world? All the children of the world. Red, Black and white, they are precious in His sight. That's not just a good little nursery rhyme. It's not a good little song to sing in children's church. It is from the theocracy of God's heart. God ruling and reigning as the supreme king. He says, I love humanity. None of these other things matter. And guess what? You and me are commanded to do. Love them the same. Love the world the same. So keep in mind... You're not the border patrol. It's not your job. 
You haven't been given that authority. That's not your authority. That's not your job. The other thing that's not your job when it comes to the, to the issue of the immigrant is you're not the judge of an immigration trial that involves an immigrant. You're not the judge either. What you and me are commanded to do is just to simply show love toward the immigrant. Let's put it another way. Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 10 and he dealt with a man who had got beat up, a Jew who got beat up on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, the bandits beat him up. They strip him. They take everything from him. They leave him dead on the side of the road. Now, another Jew who is a priest, a guy like me, right, who is over the temple, his job is to reign and rule, to teach people God's law and to live it himself. When he sees his fellow Jew, he walks on the other side of the road, walks around him, leaves him for dead. Then Jesus says there's a second guy that comes called a Levite or a church worker, if you will. He's a guy who works in the church. He helps to make sure that sacrifices go well, the service goes well, all that kind of stuff. This guy sees the man dead, almost dead, laying on the side of the road, a fellow Jew. He walks on the other side of the road. Then Jesus said a Samaritan, which easily could be equated as a foreigner or as an immigrant. The immigrant comes up, looks at the Jew, says... Man, I know culturally you live on the other side of the border. I know that you live there and I think I'm better than you. And I think that my ways are better than your ways. But instead, he kneels down, he mends the man's wounds, he wraps him with, you know, a new, new clothing. He gives him some drink, gives him some food, puts him up on his donkey, rides him to the nearest community, checks him into a hotel and says, take care of him, whatever his needs are, food, medical, housing. And if it goes over this amount, I'll come back and I'll repay you. Then Jesus said, who is the man's real neighbor? Who is the person that really loved the man who was broken down? And everyone said, well, it was obviously the Samaritan. And then Jesus said, go and do likewise. What is God's heart towards the immigrant? He just showed us a story where his people, the Jewish people, an immigrant took care of one of them. God's saying to us, listen, you don't have the right to choose who you're going to love. It's not your choice. If you want to call yourself a Christ-centered follower, you don't get to pick and choose who you love. You love the least of these. You love the one who's broken. You love the one who lives on the other side of the border. You live the one that's hard to love. You love the one that's hard to love. That's what God's saying to us. Martin Luther King Jr., when teaching about this particular passage of Scripture, rose, he, he rose two questions for us to consider. He said, he said this. He said, the first two guys, they, they basically asked this question, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? And many times, that's our approach to the stranger, to the immigrants, to the foreigner. If I do this, what's going to happen to me? But he said the better question was asked by the Samaritan who reversed it. And he said, if I do not stop to help this man, then what will happen to him? Christ-centered response falls more in line with, if I don't stop to help, what will happen to them? God's going to be putting an immigrant in your life or you have an immigrant that's in your life or you're going to run into them you know our where we live there are a lot of immigrants that are around us um, in you know communities that are surrounding Kearney and you know and immigrants are continuing to increase even in our own community 
No matter where you go uh, in America, you're going to run into immigrants. Our country is founded on immigrants coming from other places and finding the homeland here. Got it. What's your response going to be? Let your response be more built around Martin Luther King Jr.'s second question. What will happen to them if I don't step out and I don't love and I don't help them? Because remember, it's not an option for a Christ-centered follower. We're called to love. So what does that love really look like? Well, to do that, to answer that, maybe let's look at Hebrews chapter 13. Take a look at this. It says, Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without even realizing it. What does it mean to show love to a stranger, to a foreigner, to an immigrant? What does that really look like? It means to show true hospitality. Now, let's talk about hospitality for a moment. Hospitality is different than entertainment. Okay, do you know the difference? Entertainment is, hey, come over to my house, throw a party. Uh, I want I want you to come over and see my house. I want you to come over and be with me. I want you to come over and experience all my food. I want you to come over and when you leave, I want you to thank me and be really thankful that I invited you over to my house. I want to entertain you. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. Right? And I know I kind of made it sound a little bit worse than what it was, but it really centers more around inviting a bunch of people to come hang out with you. Hospitality is just the opposite. Hospitality is all about others. Hospitality deals with you making another person feel like you care about them. Making another person know that you're there to comfort them. That you're there to hear their story. That you're there at that moment and that other person feels like they are at the center of your known universe at that moment. Have you ever experienced true hospitality before? I mean, true hospitality isn't something that just happens in a person's house. It can happen out in the lobby. When you came in the doors, if you were a guest here, I hope and pray that you experienced hospitality. I hope you hope you ran into people that wanted to shake your hand, they wanted to say hello to you, they wanted to figure out how to help you. I hope that's the kind of people you ran into in our red carpet team that's here to serve you, or in our ushers that are here to serve you. But you could also show hospitality out in that lobby as just a, a person that attends new life. By in the hecticness of all of the commotion that's going on, You're locked in on one person hearing their story, hearing their situation. They know that they're at the center of your universe at that very moment. You can show hospitality in all kinds of ways. And Jesus is teaching us, God's teaching us, that we're supposed to show hospitality to strangers. Show that to them. So don't wait for Washington, D.C. to come up with some kind of legislation that will teach you how to love properly in a governmental, politically correct way the immigrants. Don't wait for that. God's Word already tells us what to do. He tells us have His heart and to reach out and show hospitality. Now what about this entertaining angels thing? I mean, wouldn't it be cool if you were entertaining a stranger and then all of a sudden, before they left, they went, oh, by the way, I'm an angel. I mean, don't you think that you would maybe know because if you got an angel, you know, if you got an angel there and then they all of a sudden they tell you that they're an angel, I'm just going to tell you this. Every time in Scripture that an angel interacted with man, man always got the better end of the deal. Man always gets, when God's messenger comes to Abraham as an example, or God's messenger comes to one of his people, when God's messenger comes in God's love, man always gets the better end of the deal. So if you actually entertained an angel because you are willing to entertain the immigrant or the stranger, that would definitely be one of those moments where you gave a little bit and you gained a lot. But let me tell you what else I've experienced in my life. Where I've given, I've given the love, 
a person that has a different skin color than me, that sounds different than me. I've done things to love them. Guess what's happened in my heart? I've gained way more than I've ever given. That's what you're going to find if you ever go on one of our missions trips, like to Haiti, as an example. You're going to find that you're going to give. You're thinking, I'm going there to give. I'm going there to give. I'm God's answer to the world. And God's going to remind you day one, "Mm, you're here to receive. That's what I've experienced. I've experienced as I've given to the foreigner, to the immigrant, my heart of compassion has increased. My worldview has been transformed from just my Americanized idea of life to the much grander scope of the planet and the way that people live and what they deal with. My heart has grown. My worldview has, has increased. And lastly, my joy has radically increased. As I realize, God, you've used me to be your hands and your feet, reaching out and loving people in difficult situations. That's what you can discover as well. But to do it, you have to lay down your prejudice. You have to lay down your preconceived ideas. You have to lay those things down and go, God, I want to be part of your solution. That's what God wants for your life today, to be part of his solution. Well, to be part of his solution one of the, the next thing you got to really consider about God is the fact that, you know, we are all immigrants in God's kingdom. Let me show you what I mean by that. You, right now, sitting here today, if you put your faith and your hope in Jesus, you are actually an immigrant in God's kingdom. I like to draw uh, our relationship with God in the form of what I call, it's called the circle to true life. This line represents faith, okay? Faith in Christ. This line does. Inside of here is actually God's, okay, kingdom. And at the center of this is really, it's just the center of God's will. Okay? I'm just going to finish that out. So we got these three major parts. we got faith is the line. Inside the line is God's kingdom. And then our goal in life is to try to get to the center of God's will for our lives. Where our lives are fully maximized, fully surrendered to God. Now, where do you start your journey? Inside the circle or outside the circle? The proper answer is, I started outside. So here you are. You're over here. And you started this journey. And you're doing life exactly the way you think you should do it until a certain moment takes place. Now... In the terms of immigration, there are individuals called coyotes. These individuals are asking immigrants to give them a lot of money, and then they're trying to get them across the border. Very dangerous. Many times, you know, people are dying. It's just an unhealthy issue that's taking place. But you need to know that there was a coyote at work in your spiritual journey. Yeah. You were outside of God's kingdom. Who drew you to the line of faith? Well, you're like, well, I grew up in a home. I was seven years old. I grew up in a Christian home. Great. I'm glad you grew up in a Christian home. But who drew you to the line of faith to say at seven years old, I'm going to put my life in God's hands? Or maybe you're going, well, I was 27 years old and I had a friend who was helping me understand about Christ and they taught me the ways of Jesus. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad you had that friend at 27. But who was really pulling on your heart? The Holy Spirit was out here. The Holy Spirit, if you can allow me to say it this way, the Holy Spirit became your spiritual coyote. And He was dragging you out of the world to the line of faith. And His whole job is to introduce you to the border patrol, Jesus. Jesus is at the border. How do we know that? Because John 14, 6 says this. It says, Jesus told him, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That's why it's a line of faith. You want to get into God's kingdom? You have to put your faith in God through Christ. Jesus is at the border, and he's going, no man will enter unless he puts his faith and his hope in me. Unless I become his Lord and his leader. And then, boom, then you enter into God's kingdom. And you start learning what it means to follow God and to get your life to the center of God's will. So you, you don't deserve to be in God's kingdom. Neither does Jeff Baker, so don't take it personal. All right? I've sinned. I've blown it. I don't deserve to be in God's kingdom, but I've become an immigrant in God's kingdom through the grace of God when He gave Jesus Christ on the cross and He rose again. So we are all spiritual immigrants. Oh, and by the way, our own Savior, Jesus, He was born in the lineage that involves an immigrant. You ever read those passages in the Bible where it's so-and-so begat so-and-so and begat them and they begat so-and-so and you get like two, two verses into it and you're like, let's move on. Boring. You ever had that happen? Well, in the lineage of Jesus, look what takes place in Matthew chapter 1. It says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. This is part of the lineage of Jesus. King David is part of the lineage. King David is an Old Testament character um, in the Bible, uh, a patriarch of the faith, a hero of the faith. King David, massive individual in the Old Testament. You can read a lot about him. Right? So he is in the lineage. But here's something that you need to know. Ruth here, she's an immigrant. Ruth is not a Jew. Ruth is a Moabite who grew up in a different area, in a, underneath a different law, underneath a different uh, understanding of what it meant to live life, underneath a different understanding of even who God would be. And she, she moves to Bethlehem. And in that process of moving to Bethlehem, she meets, long story short, Boaz. And Boaz and Ruth... They get married and they have the son, oh, Obed. So Ruth becomes the great-grandmother to one of the patriarchs of the faith, David, who down the line in the lineage, along comes Jesus. So Jesus, in his own lineage, has an immigrant. But that's not even where it ends. If you want to understand what Jesus' heart towards the immigrant is, look at what happens right after Jesus is born in Matthew. Matthew chapter 2, after Jesus is born, it says, After the wise men were gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, Stay there until I tell you to return, because, check it out, Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. Jesus, right after he's born, shortly after that, is swept away and becomes a refugee and an immigrant in another country called Egypt. And he lives there for the early years of his life until it's safe again and the angel of the Lord comes back and says, it's okay, come home. So with all of that, you need to know this today. If you call yourself a Christian, or you want to be a Christian, to be a Christ-centered Christian leaves you no other option but to have compassion for the immigrant, both legal and illegal. Our Savior came from the lineage of it. Our own Savior became one in another country. If you want to really know the story of the immigrant, read the entire Bible, because you're going to find the immigrant and the plight of the immigrant happening throughout the thing. From the beginning all the way to the end, you're going to see these issues happening. So your big question you need to say today is this, Holy Spirit, 
How can I show better hospitality to those who are different than me? How can I show true compassion to, to immigrants that are in our country? How can I extend a hand to those that sound different, look different? How can I extend a hand of love? How can I be your, your hands and your feet in this world that I live in? You need to ask, you just ask the Holy Spirit. He'll show you how to do that. The next opportunity you're given where the, the immigrant is on the side of the road and everyone else is passing them by, st- stop and help them out. Figure out a way to help out the immigrant. Find out how to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Because don't forget, you were once an immigrant. And today, spiritually, if you are outside of the circle and you need to get inside the circle, the only way that you're going to become the immigrant in God's kingdom is by putting your faith and your hope in Christ. Today, I want to deeply challenge you. Let your heart line up with God's heart. If you're here today and you're outside of a relationship with God, your first move to being part of God's solution on this issue here in South Central Nebraska is to put your complete faith and hope in Jesus. That's where it starts. So today, I challenge you to do that. No matter who you are or where you are, let Jesus become your Lord and your leader. Put your hope in Him. The second thing that we need to do is we need to ask God and we need to repent of some of our preconceived stereotypical ideas. And we need to lay down our opinions before God and repent of some of them that we've held on to like gospel truth that were just man's opinions and they don't even line up with God's. That would be your second move is just go, God, I repent. I want to have a heart more like yours. That's my challenge to you today. I know it's not easy. I know it's not the simplest message on the planet. I know that it takes a lot of work to go and apply it. The big challenge to you today is, is your heart lined up with God's heart towards the immigrant? Because if it's not, then in our time of worship in just a minute, when I challenge you, I want you to, I want you to stand in a moment and I want you to worship God and go, God, I didn't deserve to be in your kingdom, but you allowed me in. Thank you. God, I, uh, I haven't loved other immigrants the way you loved this immigrant. Help me to love others the way you loved me. Help me to have a heart that looks more like yours, sounds more like yours, and behaves more like yours towards the plight of the immigrant. You you take those steps, and God will increase compassion. He'll increase a joy inside of your heart. And He'll he'll help you really get, uh, get to this point where you're just like grateful and thankful for all that God's done in your life because you're a giver. Give of yourself and watch what God does in your heart. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we know that you have all the answers. We know you have all the solutions. We know that if we look in your word, that you can make things clear to us. Lord, take today's message, just a short glimpse into your word on this issue. And may you start to challenge people's hearts. First, in a heart of thankfulness. Thank you, God, that I didn't deserve to be in your kingdom, but you allowed me to come in. The border was closed, but through Christ, you opened the gate and you let me come in. Thank you for that, God. Let our hearts be overwhelmed with gratitude and thankfulness towards you. Lord, secondly, let our hearts uh, reach out and love those that are different than us. Let us stretch ourselves. Put ourselves in positions when the opportunity is given to us. Lord, to really minister true hospitality. To really minister true compassion to those that are different than us. To those that are trying to find their way in this world. To those who are caught in the trap of a system 
that they chose or that was chosen for them. But help us not to be people that judge first. Let us be people that we do what you asked us to do. To love. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name. Amen.